take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to this episode of Field Preachers Podcast. I am Paul Nixon. I'm Director of Church Multiplication at Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. And I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Beth Estock, with whom I have shared in the ministry of coaching church planters over the past decade. Hello, Beth. Hi, Paul. It's great to be with you, and it's great to collaborate um, on this podcast with you. I'm really looking forward to um, the playground that we're going to be in together. We will be, Rachel Gilmore has been the the host of this for the last um, more than a year and has has had the chance to get in the playground, in the sandbox, so to speak, with some of the most interesting characters. And so I trust that we will continue that tradition of really um, talking to people that are, that are sort of living on the edge of where church is going as we create new forms of faith community. I am too. And I, you know, as um, I get out and about, not just in the United States, but in the uh, United Kingdom as well, Wow, there's just so many great things happening, and what a wonderful vehicle this podcast will be in in extending those stories out and sharing them with other people. Indeed. Joining Beth and I today is Rachel Gilmore, who has hosted Field Preachers Podcast for the last year or so. Um, Before that, Rachel planted The Gathering, um, a faith community in Virginia Beach, As Beth and I shift into a shared role um, as the new co-hosts of Field Preachers Podcast, we thought, you know, there's no one on the planet that we would rather interview first than to talk to Rachel. Um, Rachel, you founded this podcast and you've had maybe, what, five dozen interviews um, with these amazing people. Um, You're moving to a new church planting opportunity now, somewhere out there west of Nashville, uh, soon to be announced. Um, I worked alongside you coaching um, in your first plant. Um, I've I've had you as a colleague alongside um, all of the synergy, all the good fun in our time at Path One. You're a blast to work with. And um, how are you feeling about getting back on the front line of where gospel and culture intersect? Um, Oh, (laughs) Well, I'm excited. I'm freaking out a little bit as well, right? It's so exciting to be here with you. And I am thrilled that you guys will be the co-hosts of Field Preachers going forward. You know, if you had asked me a year ago if I would be gearing up to go back into a church plant, I would say, are you insane? I do not have another church plant left in me. I am nearing 40 years old. Innovation has died in me. But um, after 18 months of really living into, um, I think I call it like a connectional intensive, where I had the opportunity to hear these stories of what planters are doing all over the U.S. and beyond. And it, I mean, it gave me so many ideas ideas and all this energy and God was opening a door for me to get back out there and not just hear all these great stories about how people are, you know, reaching others in innovative and way innovative ways to build up the kingdom, but to be a part of it myself. So, um, you know, I can't officially announce anything yet. We know how the the system goes in terms of announcement Sundays, but uh, I am thrilled to be diving back in and really ready to apply some of what I've learned over this last season here with path one well the holy, the holy spirit has a another church plant in her and you do have a way of showing up to 
all of that good fun. Um, yeah, I would say, Rachel, that there is no stopping innovation in you. I mean, with every breath you take, um, you are a fireball of energy and new ideas. So I'm so excited to see what's going to happen next in your life. But given the fact that you've had this kind of connectional seat, I'm curious to know, based on all of your interviews and your work with Path One, what positive trends are you seeing in the Methodist movement right now? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I can say that I have been so impressed and just honored to witness the way that planters have truly adapted and pivoted during the season of COVID. Um, you know, all pastors had to figure out what virtual worship looked like, but planters have seemed to be ahead of the curve in terms of the apps they're in implementing, the way they're doing guest follow-up, the way that they are trying to create now the a digital campus that will continue even when they start meeting in person. So, you know, I've loved that resilience and adaptability of UM planters. I've loved hearing about these online only campuses. Entrepreneurial planting is a positive trend that I see taking off team based planting. I mean, what I wouldn't have, and, and my next planting approach is kind of a team-based one too. So I'm trying to implement what I've learned. Um, and then also intentionally anti-racist plants led by both BIPOC planters um, and dominant culture planters, just really realizing the massive work that we need to do as Methodists when it comes to multi-ethnic or ethnic planting. So all of those have been amazing to witness and hear more about. Mm. So as you kind of think about that full range of what you've heard and experienced through your work um, at Path One, what would be like one or two big ahas that you are taking with you as you leave Path One into your next church experience? Oh, gosh, um, there are so many ahas. I would say the first aha that comes to mind is the one that kind of birthed this podcast to begin with. You know, Blake has been an amazing podcast editor. I just want to give a shout out to him because he helped make all of this happen back in August of 2018 when we had 14 veteran church planters in an Airbnb for three days sharing our stories. And, and most of us didn't know each other before we arrived. So hanging out together and, and recording all of these podcasts helped me realize that Planting is isolating and it's so lonely for so many of us. And we need to really intentionally reach across conference lines. I mean, some people, I was on the phone earlier with someone who's the only church planter in their annual conference wow. and they don't feel understood. And so, you know, planting is lonely. We need each other. That's a blessing and a gift of the Methodist church. To, so an aha is that everybody else felt as lonely as I did. Everyone had the same kinds of struggles um, and needed the same kinds of encouragement. So I hope this network of Methodist church planters continues to grow and flourish because it has been a lifeline for me and given me some of my closest friends now. Um, another aha might be rethinking benchmarks and sustainability. You know, for years, benchmarks were about your average worship attendance and how much money was in the plate. Well, people aren't gathering in person to worship and there are no plates being passed around for the foreseeable future due to COVID. So, so what should our goals look like? And, and with many annual conferences losing a lot of their funding for a variety of reasons, how can we look at more co-vocational planting or entrepreneurial planting to fund these new faith communities so they are sustainable? So all of those are things I'm seeing. Ahas, I guess. I want to ask you one more follow-up question to that. When you say entrepreneurial planting, can you give us an idea of what uh, excites you about that? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think it's kind of returning back to scripture and one of the many approaches that the Apostle Paul took as he was starting churches, right? Um, he was a tent maker, and so he'd make tents, and that helped fund and fuel his ministry. And it wasn't separate from it because he was working with people who also helped him start the church. So what would it look like as planters if we truly feel called to, well, Mike Bachman is one of the earliest examples of this in Methodism, right? He started Union Coffee, and this coffee house has produced more young clergy who are trying to innovate and lead our denomination than I think any other church plant like it. And, and the coffee shop has been kind of the hub of that faith community. So it's a beautiful way to say, listen, we can't all expect that an annual conference will have half a million dollars to give us until we can be on our feet financially. What would happen if it became a missional marketplace, that we found something that we're good at? I know for me, um, I was a preschool teacher. I had an education degree. So one of the first things my church plant did was start a preschool, which then had another campus. And that brought some revenue into the church to fund our kids' ministry so that we could do even more. So really challenging people to think outside of the box um, is, I think, an important step forward for church planting. Yeah, and I really love that pivot where um, it's not about how can we um, how can we make money? It's more about how can we serve the community in the context in which we find ourselves? You know, what's what's culturally um, a present right there that that needs our attention? And how can we join in that? Love it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that that shift in um, moving from how can the church be sustained to how can we sustain life? in the community, how can we sustain life around us um, and be a life-giving force in the community so that it's a, it, it flips the sustainability question. And I hear that, I hear that. Rachel, um, planters are innovators um, by necessity um, and they're getting some things right that the rest of the church is playing catch up on. Um, what, what are some ways that you see the planting community um, getting it right that the rest of the church needs to catch on to? Oh, wow. Um, again, I'm so bad. I can't think of like the one thing, but there are two things that come to mind that church planters are doing that could hopefully in inspire the denomination, the, you know, or mainline denominations to jump on board. I think the first is their awareness that at least when it comes to the United Methodist Church in the United States, we are like 94% white. And that's a problem when the 2020 census shows that one in four Americans don't identify as white. So will we have a future as a church if we can't find a way to create a bridge or thriving ethnic or multi-ethnic, multicultural ministries. So church planters are so aware of that and are trying to embrace an intentional decolonial approach um, mm -hmm. to new faith communities. And what I mean by that is, like, look, historically, folks were like, oh, I'm a church planter, so let me move to Virginia Beach, right? And I'll tell them what music we will sing to worship God, what the order of worship will look like, the, the version of scripture we will read, we will have a UMW circle or this, that, and the other, without listening to the community and saying, what do they need? Where has God already been at work? And how can I be an ally with the ministry God started before I arrived in town and get to know my other neighbors, especially, you know, BIPOC pastors in my community who don't want to see someone else coming in to tell them what church should like, look like and how to do it better because we're white and we have more money. Um, so planters are so mindful of this and are like entering spaces with humility and just a, an awareness that we all have a lot of learning to do. We have a lot of work 
to do. We have reparations to do. And, um, and I've loved that and appreciated that and, and hope that more mainline churches understand the importance of that for our future, just so that we can reflect the kingdom of God that we've read about in Revelation for, for decades of our lives, right? So that's one area. And I think that so other it sounds that- It sounds like this is more than just surviving as a church. Oh, yeah. Um, it sounds like it could be dangerous in the era in which we live for white enclave churches, um, that, that's, that that's getting into a danger. It's probably always been a danger zone, but in the, in the multi-world in which we live, that's sounding like it's um, getting more dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And so we have to do our work. We have to, you know, hunker down and figure out what it looks like to kind of step back in time when we started doing it all wrong, which is when we first landed here in <laughs> America. Uh, and yeah. And, and what does a, a living loving, you know, I think there's a planter in um, Colorado who said this really well, Jasper Peters, he's a phenomenal black planter. And he said, you know, we all talk about reconciliation, but we can't be reconciled. Reconciliation is where you go back to where the relationship was good and right and whole and equitable. We've never had that. So we can't be reconciled because there's nothing to go back to, but we can work towards it in the future. And I I just think, you know, his prophetic voice and the voices of so many others, you know, Brandon Wrencher at Liberating Church, Tyler Sitt at New City in Minneapolis, that these are leading voices in the Methodist planting movement that we need to listen to and be aware of and let them not not just listen to them, but use what they're saying and their words of encouragement to reshape our entire approach to church planting um, in the U.S. So we're starting to do it. I want to see more of that. And I want to see more churches saying, hey, I want to start a new ministry. How can I embrace a decolonial approach to that? So um, so that's one. And I would say the other gift that planters give to the mainline denomination is one we all should have kind of held on to. But planters that I've met are pretty risk averse. And so when you talk about the future of the church in America being uncertain, they're not afraid like other established pastors I know. And I I think just to reference Mike Bachman again, we were talking about this and he said, you know, I don't understand why so many churches are afraid of death because we are a people of the resurrection where you have to have death to then have new life. And so planters realize that we have, as a mainline institution, have been trying for so many years to just stay alive, to stay afloat, instead of realizing that there are some things that need to die, um, that are unhealthy, that are holding us back and keeping us from building up the kingdom of God. Instead, we're building up our, our towers or whatever they might be. And how to not fear that death and say, you know what, life comes from death. And Elaine Heath um, in our digital church planting webinar kind of echoed this too and said, this is a season that she calls the new reformation for the church. How can we hold on to those things that are truly good and life-giving and grounded in the gospel and, and uplifting to the kingdom and the body of God? How can we hold on to that and move forward? Not afraid that we, it might look differently, but, but the, that's okay. We're a people of the resurrection. Resurrection is on the way. Rachel, Beth, and I have both been working with church planters in the UK as well as the United States in the last year or so. And one of the things we've noticed is that in the UK, where the the church is more late life cycle even than it is in the United States, is there is less um, among the the pioneering sorts, um, the planters and and their friends, there is less of a holding on to the church as it has been, because the the thing is about sunk. And I feel like in the United States, it's not 
sunk as far <laughs> and 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 we and and because of that sometimes we we end up holding on to um to to the existing structures in ways that sometimes our european and colleagues as well as our colleagues that work in the pacific northwest and certain spaces in the united states are just moving on um beth are you've reflected on that as well yeah um i just think that this the you know we're experiencing systems collapse not only in the institutional church but in all major institutions i mean look at our politics right now so the, the big question for me is, is what Rachel just said. Um, how are we discerning the movement of the Holy Spirit that goes before us and says, pay attention here. Look at new life here. Whoa, what miracle happened right there? And how can we, um, we discern that and partner with that? And, um, you know, that's going to look different regardless of where we find ourselves here in the United States or other places in the world. But I do think it's a, it's a shift of approach that is so life-giving in a time where we could be Debbie Downers and just say, oh man, you know, the Titanic is sinking. That's Rachel. Great. I love that you talked about discernment too, Beth, because you're amazing with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Given what we've talked about so far and this transition that you're making, I really want to see as, as a practitioner, how will you um, enter into ministry in your new setting differently, given the experience that you've had? Are, are you thinking about different approaches or, um, you know, what wisdom are you bringing with you? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting an attempt to plant again, but utilizing all this knowledge, right, that's been poured into me. So especially realizing the impact that the pandemic has had on faith communities, I'm going into this new church plant knowing that I need to have a combination of, of intentionally meeting people in both digital and physical space and offering ministries or ways to connect or forge community in both digital and physical space. It can't be an either or, it needs to be a both and moving forward, especially as we try to reach younger generations that won't, you know, Gen Z won't necessarily want to show up every Sunday from 10 to 11 anymore. Or if they do, maybe the first 20 minutes is just conversation because it feels so great to just see someone in person and talk with a short 20 minute service and then 20 minutes of like, again, just talking and sharing now that it's safe together. So that, that um, combination of physical digital space is something I'm taking with me. The importance of having a discipleship pathway that is talked about routinely, that everybody understands, that's really strategic, lives into the vision of the church, and which is stems from the needs of the community, right? So having that in place is something I'll take with me. Being open to, and, and I'm planting with this co-vocational mindset that maybe the first year I'll receive funding, but then I hope to create those entrepreneurial opportunities that help infuse more resources into the church that we can then release back out to the community as good stewards. Um, Multi-ethnic planting is something I'm hoping to implement as well and really empowering strong lay leadership, letting people know that this is not Rachel's church plant. A lot of church plants are very planter centric. So when the planter leaves, everything falls apart. 
So how can you do that differently and really empower and equip lay people to go out and start fresh expressions right where they're at so that you can multiply more quickly um, because you're empowering your laity the way that we did in the earliest days of Methodism. So those are just a few. I'm an overachiever, again, a three on the Enneagram. But yes, I'm going to try to do all of those things within my first 30 days. (laughs) Rachel, about a year from now, I want to bring you back on this podcast and say, hey, Rachel, how's it going? I'm excited for you. I love it. Even if you have one of those ideas, it's just going to be so much fun. (laughs) Rachel, in the world in which we're living, we're all aware there are fewer and fewer people as we hit the ground in ministry space. There's fewer people in the neighborhood who wake up one morning and say, gee, I'm looking for a good church. That's just not the motivation that's driving most millennials and Gen Z folks. And as you move into a space that is decidedly probably more secular, even than the place that you came from last time, um, what do you think, what's your starting hypothesis in terms of what people are looking for? You'll be listening and getting a sense of that, but what it's, they're not, they're not just waiting with, with looking at a watch for Rachel to arrive with a new church. Um, But what do you think they're looking for? Man, um, so planting is so contextual, right? And I, I don't, I don't fully know my community yet, but based on Mission Insight reports and a brief drive through of the community, I know my approach in this particular space is going to be because it is a younger generation, and what I'm realizing in my research is a lot of like Gen Z college age kids don't feel like they have like the mentors they need for life. So trying to set up or create environments where if they don't know how to cook or they don't know how to change a tire or they don't know how to break up with their boyfriend in person because they've only done it via text, you know, that that these are re- just practical life skills that they can come into a faith community that they know is grounded on trying to do the right thing and being people, you know, who who take the high ground and try to rise above um, difficult situations that that can help facilitate some of what they're experiencing and also give them a venue to talk more about their emotions. And as they reflect on this pandemic, you know, are they experiencing PTSD or could we have post-traumatic growth by really talking about narratives and stories and setting goals together and realizing that Jesus is like the best mentor that any of us can ever have. So kind of finding those connection points to take it deeper into these gospel principles. Um, And the other thing I want to do that is really close to my heart, so I'm super excited about it, especially in this community, which is very diverse, is being a church that's not afraid to take a stand on social justice issues. I think that's something that we're seeing more and more in church plants, that they don't apologize for being fully inclusive of the LGBTQIA community or uh, leading Black Lives Matter rallies. So how can I let the community know that we are not a church that just wants to meet on Sundays, but we want to make this community a safer, better, more equitable space for all. So that'll be another way that I hope to meet people is figuring out what's going on. And again, just being that ally, joining along with them in that movement. Well, you're only going to be a few hours down the road from where I live. And I look forward to snooping around and coming over occasionally and um, getting in on, on what's going on. Um, I want to really thank you for the energy that you bring, not just to this podcast, but to the work of the gospel. And that's what's been, I think, really fun working with you over the years. You just bring great energy um, to, to, the, to the work of good news. Um, 
Thank you, Paul. You're so sweet. I'm so grateful that you were my coach in my early days to see me through my first planting experience. We, we have stories we could tell from back then, <laughs> but we won't. Oh my. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've left us here with an amazing archive of conversations. Uh, we want to thank you for that as well. As we pass the baton here, or you pass to us, is there something you'd like to say to us or to the listeners, um, a benediction or a blessing as you leave as the host of the podcast? Oh, gosh. Ah, okay. Yes. I, well, I'm so grateful for both of you. Love and adore and respect you. I'm excited to see what happens on Field Preachers moving forward. And I guess for all of the listeners, my closing moments with you will be a prayer um, that's meant the world to me. And I, I really do think Thomas Merton, I don't know if he's a patron saint, but he should be the patron saint of church planters. Um, so I'll close with my favorite Thomas Merton prayer. Okay. And you, uh, you both probably already know it, but it's such a good one. Okay. Uh, the prayer is my Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Amen. Rachel, thank you so much for that beautiful prayer. Uh, it just resonates so deeply in my own heart as, as a teenager, probably 13 years old. I wrote that prayer on a little note card. And um, I had it in my desk drawer, took it to college. I have it today on my desk, that same little note card with that prayer. And as you go into this community um, with a heart for young people, what a beautiful prayer for you to take with you to guide you in this next journey as well. Thank you so much for the gifts that you bring to the world, your sensibilities, and um, your passion for the gospel. Thank you, Rachel. My pleasure. Thank you both. And blessings on you and your continued ministry. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.